Welcome to episode four of the Youth Group Podcast. Um, my name is Gabe Perez. I'm the youth pastor here at First Prez OC in or- well, in Oregon City, OC. <laughs> um, this week we discussed uh, the book of Revelation and kind of the meaning behind it. Uh, a little bit of a breakdown of the book, just kind of getting a basic understanding of the certain sections of it and kind of a little bit of an easier way to break it down and understand it. Um, obviously, we can't go fully in depth with it, uh, but we did try and give a pretty general understanding and, and really grapple with the reason and the purpose of Revelation as a book. So hope you guys enjoy and hope you guys are getting something out of these. Um, so, yeah, have a good time. Go cool. Uh, well, I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna get to some worship, guys. Uh, Father God, uh, we just thank you so much for today. Uh, we thank you for the time we have just to uh, sit here or stand here and worship uh, you together, Lord, uh, as your family. I pray that you would just continue to um, grow this group. Uh, there's a lot of us here tonight, and I just pray that you'd be honored and glorified um, by uh, our gathering here tonight and the worship songs and the lesson uh, that is shared. So in my name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys.
better, you know.
Father God, uh, we just thank you um, for eventually finding the note. Um, and Lord, we just thank you for um, just the family that we have here, God. Um, we get to have fun. Um, and even as our group grows, um, we still get to be uh, tight-knit and close. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you continue to grow us, but also continue to help us grow closer to you. Um, and grow closer as a family, uh, as your brothers and sisters, as brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, as your children. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just bless the lesson time, um, help us just to be focused in and uh, tuned in to what you have to teach us in uh, your holy word as we dive into Revelation today. In your mind, let me pray. Amen. Amen. All right, middle school, you guys are doing okay. All right, this week, guys, as I said before, we are talking about Revelation. Um, so. Yes, it is a little bit of a little bit of a hefty boy today. Um, but um, this is the heavy hitter. This one, I am not gonna go like super in depth with every little thing in um, Revelation because we could literally be here for like years studying all of this. But we're not gonna do that. Um, but we what we are going to do is try and get a good grasp and understanding of kind of how the breakdown of Revelation actually is. So we're not um, kind of unaware of what's happening, but um, we are have a general understanding and kind of look at the reason, purpose behind Revelation as a whole. Okay, um, so um, I'm not going to share this thing because I'm trying to turn my screen sideways. My thing is loading. Don't worry, guys. We're having some technical difficulties, as Gabe always does. Um, all right. So yeah, so and also the, that's also kind of why we went back into we, last week we talked about angels, demons, <laughs> and spiritual warfare was because um, Revelation references angels, demons, and spiritual warfare throughout it. It's a very kind of spiritual book, and you guys have been asking a lot about Revelation in general, and so I kind of wanted to give you guys a little bit of a better understanding. So. What's going to happen is I'm going to kind of show, and you guys can write it down on the screen. It's going to be a section, kind of chunk breakdown of the parts of Revelation, how they generally go together, um, just in like the topical part of it, um, or kind of how the sections that are related to each other. But it's not going to be, um, it's just going to be as you read through it, but it's not, we'll go through it. But anyways, so I'm going to just hit the next slide because that's going to be the breakdown of the chunks of Revelation and the parts of it, Okay. So I'm just going to walk you guys through it. Cool? So obviously intros, chapter 1, Jesus starts Revelation off, announcing to John, hey, I have a message. This is my message to you, um, and I want you to write this down for the apostles and everything. Um, so it is written by John the Apostle. It's the, the most commonly held author of the book that we know of. Um, and so it's recording the message of Jesus, um, and it's, it is all about him. So... Second section is kind of the church writings, chapter 2 through 4, and these are messages to the current churches, but also representative of um, problems that we face as Christians in churches today. Um, so when you're reading Revelation, he's talking to these churches of the modern times that John is living in, okay? Um, and so I'm just going to list off some of the names for it, but um, Ephesus, Samarina, uh, Sim. Samirina, I don't remember how to find one. Uh, Pergamum, um, Thyatira, um, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Um, and so there's seven churches, and you can. There's a lot of numbers in Revelation that are symbolic and representative, and it's kind of hard to fully understand what the numbers mean. But seven um, 
typically is a holy number. Um, seven and three are usually numbers of completion or holiness. Um, and so that's partially why when you look at the number of the beast, uh, is 666, it's because it's always, it's the, it falls short of God. It's, it's not to God's extent. It's, it might be a powerful spiritual being, but the, the beast, the enemy of God, is its number is 666, but God's holy number is seven. So the representative also of how God is even above that as well. It might seem powerful, but again, it's, it falls short of God and his glory. So first section, church writings, chapters two through three. Um, the next section is kind of the heavenly setup is how I kind of characterized it. It's kind of how things were and how things got started after Jesus ascended, okay? So it gives us a glimpse into what the heavenly throne room and everything that was going on in there was like. So it talks about um, one who is like Jasper sitting on the throne in the middle and the sevenfold spirit of God or the seven spirits of God were floating. So again, that number seven comes into play. And that part is kind of representing what heaven was like and there's elders and these elders are holding bowls and of incense and then there's heavenly creatures that are worshiping God and this is literally a picture in the throne room of God himself and we can't fully understand what that really looks like but this is a guy again John's trying to put it in his best understanding of what that is um, and so talks about God the Father and then God the Holy Spirit so the sevenfold spirits of God before the throne so it's both the Holy Spirit fully present and God the Father fully present. And then later on, just in this section as well, you see the Lamb of God. Um, it's like one who was like like the Son of Man, is what it says, which is also a name for Jesus. And then it talks about it was a lamb as if it was slain, a lamb who looked as if it had been slain, which Jesus you know, talks about the sacrificial lamb of God. It's a whole symbolism, a lot of stuff. But that's kind of what this goes into. Then, um, during that time, after that, it goes into these divine seals. So there's 8 through 11 is just all kinds of seals that Jesus opens up. And he's the only one who can open them. Um, it very, is very, very specific that there's seals in heaven that God has given that only Jesus can open. And it's after Jesus has ascended and done his work on the earth that he's able to do that. Um, there's the four horsemen in this. Um, there's martyrs that are released, um, the skies are darkened, and then angels and trumpets with a bunch of judgments come on the earth as well. So there's a whole lot of stuff in that. I'm just skimming over all of it. But then it goes into the spiritual battle portion, which is um, kind of 12, 12 through 14. You see a lot of spiritual battles and activity happening between God and Satan and the beast and the Antichrist and all these things happening all kind of popping up in the middle of all this. Um, and then after that is the fallout and punishment, seven, five, 15 through 17. Um, and that's kind of where we look at Satan, the beast, the punishment that happens for that, and kind of really um, just a lot of crazy cosmic stuff is happening, um, both on the earth and in the heavens throughout all of this. Then it goes into um, the resolution of it is 18 through 22. So Revelation is only 22 chapters, but those last four chapters are really just kind of wrapping everything up in a, a kind of spiritual biblical sense, all right? Um, now, it's really hard to fully comprehend all of it, but it's, a, it's not really meant for us to fully comprehend. We're never gonna fully understand what all of it means, what all of it looks like, and how it really affects us every single day. Um, because Revelation is a very spiritual book, 
and it's very symbolic, but it's also prophetic, and it's some of it is very applicable to us today, especially with the churches and also what it represents, the book itself. But a lot of it, we can't really do a lot with that. <laughs> That's the, the struggle of Revelation. There's a lot of mystery and a lot of intrigue with it, but we can't really do a ton with it directly in our lives right now. And so that's kind of the basic breakdown of Revelation. And it's important to remember that Jesus gave, gave us Revelation because this is a word from Jesus, his message to us. Jesus gave Revelation to us um, to encourage us, to warn us, to remind us that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Uh, thank you. Um, because Revelation just tells us and reminds us that Revelation is all about Jesus. And if you're thinking about like, okay, well, it's about end times and it's about like the spiritual battles and what happens to Satan and those other things. In the very beginning of the book, Jesus himself establishes this is my message. And at the very end of the book, Jesus gives a benediction to, well, not a benediction, but he gives his final little message to John to say, hey, write down what you've seen because guess what? Anybody who comes to me can have the living water. And it talks about he is the living water. You find that in him. Salvation is what Jesus is saying. And he begins a book and ends the book with a message saying, this is my message and this message is for the people. Go tell them. And so it's all about Jesus. And it's all about the work of what Jesus did and what Jesus is going to do and what Jesus, you know, is eventually going to establish in the end. Um, it says in Revelations 22, this is towards the last chapter. It says 22, 12 through 16. It says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give each to each person according to what I have done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Now, Jesus obviously makes it clear in this. He wants this to be known to the people for the churches. And we as Christians today are part of that. We are an extension of the church. The church isn't just a single place or a group of people. It is the body of Christ. Everyone, where, everywhere where Christians gather, that is the church. We are all the body of Christ together. And when you read this book, you're, you know, obviously we're seeing angels and angels talking and a lot of symbolism. But Jesus is present and woven in and through every single part of Revelation. And if we go into Revelation thinking, I want to find out more about Satan or more about how the world's going to end or what's going to happen, you're losing focus on the fact that this is Jesus' story. This is a story about his work and how he is bringing things to a conclusion in the end of time, the end of history, ushering in the new era of life with him. Because the Revelation is showing us this is what it's all coming down to. This is what his work is leading to. It's not about, hey, let's find out more about an angel or more about, you know, the number of the beast or anything like that. While those are things we can look into and try and understand, if we lose sight of the fact that it's about Christ above all, 
then we lose sight of what Revelation really is actually supposed to be about. And um, it's, it's interesting because we can th read the book and we can actually look at the details, but in the end we might end up being like, well, why did that happen? And what does that mean? Or what the heck will that actually be like? <laughs> like he blew a trumpet and all of a sudden there was fire coming down from the sky and people were hiding under rocks. What does that mean? Like, is that like, are people, is there going to be a literal just trumpet blast or is there going to be some weird call that everyone's like, oh my gosh. And then there's like stories, like there are parts in here that talks about you're going to be in a field with somebody working and the other person that's a, that's a believer is just going to be gone. You're like, what? Oh, what, they're just going to be gone. It was like, God just going to like take them in an instant. And they're just going to, oh, what, what, what does that mean? And so, and so we get caught up in all this and we want, we want answers. Right? I mean, who has read Revelation and wanted to know more? Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> but there's, there, we all, we naturally have inquisitive, questioning minds, right? As people and as human beings, God created us to create and to be curious. And so we naturally want to know, okay, well, I want to know more about that. I want to figure this out. But the thing is, God isn't in the business of just giving answers. Instead, He gives us purpose and direction. And the reason he does that is because answers don't really help us in the end, right? Even if you had all the answers to everything in Revelation, you still have to live your life. <laughs> that doesn't change anything you have to do today. It doesn't change anything about your faith in God. And if you're like, oh, I know that that trumpet blast represents this, or I know that people disappearing is going to shock the world and throw everything into chaos or I know that the beast is really going to look like this or the antichrist is really going to be this person all you're going to do is just be looking for those things as the, instead of focus on living for God right so the answers aren't necessarily going to make us feel any better or aren't going to make our lives any easier and God understands that God knows that just giving us the answers all the time isn't going to help us but at the same time he still wants us you know to have a little bit um you think about it like this way. Rachel and I, we're going to have a kid. Praise the Lord. Um, but if I have a kid and I'm like, they, they hear about a movie at school that their parents are watching or that's like big and like scary. So let's say it's like, um, no, um, let's say it's some like crazy horror movie, like The Conjuring. Let's say like, okay, The Conjuring. All right. So shh, shh, listen, so they hear about The Conjuring from their friends and they come home to me and Rachel and our kid's like, Mom, Dad, I really want to watch The Conjuring. And I'm like, no, you're not going to watch The Conjuring. And they're like, well, why not? It's like, just because you just wouldn't understand. Like, I, I, it, But I can say you wouldn't understand because they really wouldn't understand. But if I say, hey, you might get like really serious, like traumatic, you know, fear and irrational fear built up in your mind as a young child. And you don't fully understand the ramifications of watching a scary movie that could mentally traumatize you for years to come. They would be like. So why can't I watch it? And you're like, because you're going to be, you're going to have like mental scars and it's going to affect your brain as a young child. And they'd be like, that doesn't mean anything to me. Right? Like I can get, I can give them the answer. Right. But it doesn't, they don't understand it. They don't like eventually they might understand it a little bit more, but in the moment, if I give them the answer right away, it's not going to help them. And it's the same thing with us and Christ in the end times. Like, he gives us a glimpse a little bit, but we don't fully know. He can give us some of the answers and some of what that looks going to look like, but we're never fully going to understand. It's not really going to help us either way. Um, 
And the thing is, God doesn't give us all the answers, but he does remind us that it's all about Jesus. And when reading Revelation, we also get to see that God has a plan. We have to remember always, and Revelation shows us perfectly, that God has a plan. If we forget that he is still in control, that God is still all-powerful, and that he still also is the one who's calling the shots, we can start losing faith in God and thinking, oh, well, he's not going to do very much, or he's not going to do a ton for me anyways. But the thing is, we have to realize that Christ is worthy of all power, honor, and glory. And he's worthy of all that because he's in control, and he has a plan, and he knows what he's doing. He exists outside of time, and he knows what's going to happen already. I don't. None of us do. And I don't know about you, I don't exist outside of time. <laughs> I'm way far below where God is at in terms of power, wisdom, and even purity. I, I'm so dirty and sinful compared to God because he is perfect. But it's in Christ that we are made perfect and able to be saved. And Revelation gives us a beautiful picture of that. And it shows us the end goal of what God is going to do and bring a resolution in it. Now, it says in Matthew, um, it says, Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has troubles of its own. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't question or we shouldn't think or inquire about stuff. But that also means that if you're more worried about what's going to happen tomorrow than trusting in God in the moment, you're not going to be living for him day to day. You're going to be more focused on the future and achieving a goal as opposed to living out your faith right now. And again, we, if we get the answers, that doesn't change how we're supposed to live right now. And we oftentimes want answers to that stuff that we don't can't see, we don't know in the future. But what's more important is to realize that God eventually does have a plan. And he has a plan for my life and he has a plan for your life. And our lives as Christians should be based around living out that plan and following the steps that God has set before us today, not thinking about five years from now, how am I going to figure that out? And then Revelation really does at the end, it highlights the supremacy of Christ and it also comforts God's people in the waiting. And really, God comforts us in Revelation by, for one, promising to destroy sin, death, and Satan. God comforts us in Revelation by assuring us that he will rise us, raise us, I, I did that wrong, raise us again in a new creation, and a new life. So as Christians, we have to remember that, yes, we are physically going to die, period. Sorry. Unless Jesus comes back in the next, you know, 20 years or something, I don't know. We're all going to die eventually, all right? We all have that expiration date for our material bodies. But Revelation, and it's talked about even in the Old Testament, that there is a resurrection of those that put their faith in God. And Revelation gives us a beautiful picture of that where it talks about all the nations and that those that had died before everything, that he raised everybody from the dead. And it talks about that the sea gave up their dead and that Jesus comes and judges the world. And it also lets us know that there will be very hard times in the end times. There will be very hard times, but that he will end the hard times as well. It makes it very clear in Revelation there's going to be a lot of suffering. And there is going to be a lot of pain on earth. We can't get around that because if, at the end of the day, 
there is a lot of people that lose their faith. There is the, the world, more and more so as time goes on, is not going to be turning closer and closer to God. And I'm, I'm going to, this is something that frustrates me to no end um, with modern day Christians that we think all of a sudden the nation's going to turn around to God. But God doesn't promise us that. It tells us the exact opposite, that we, as time goes on, the world is going to shrink more and more, the Christian population. There's going to be less and less people holding to the faith. And there's going to be more and more people living for Satan and not wanting to live for God. It's not a promise that the church is going to blossom all over the world and all of a sudden it's going to be this utopia and then all of a sudden God's going to come in. It talks about a lot of people not coming to faith in him. It talks a lot of people having a, a half-hearted faith, if anything, and they fall away in the end. But it's amazing the fact that Jesus promises us that he's going to end all that suffering. He's going to end all that pain. He's going to end all the shame and all the stuff that we regret in our lives and all the stuff that we know we can't fix about ourselves. He says, I'm going to take all those problems away. I'm wiping the slate clean. And that's why Jesus waits so long. God is waiting so long. It says in Revelation 21, 4 through 6, I don't know if I have that, maybe. Um, yeah. There you go. Uh, Isaac, would you mind reading that for me? That's, this is like towards the end of Revelation, but he's pointing out, wipe every tear. He, he's going to make everything right. He's going to take the pain out of the world. Because that's what Christ came to do, is not to bring pain and suffering. It says that he didn't come to destroy the world, but to save it. And that's the story of Revelation. That's the book of Revelation. It's describing how that's going to happen and what the end result is, which is him wiping away every tear, taking away that pain, removing the things that drag us down, he, getting rid of sin and Satan and death itself so we can live eternally with him, free from sin, free from any temptation, fully able to live in peace with God. Now, when we're looking through Revelation, um, it is a glimpse of spiritual realities of what was happening, what has happened, and also what will happen. Right? As some of you know, there is a lot of debate around <laughs> the timeline and what it all means and when things happen and how it happens. And the reason is there is so much debate is because there are elements of all those things in it. There are parts that we know that already have happened. There are some things that are happening, there's all parts that will happen, and there's things that we're still kind of just waiting on if they will happen at all. It seems as if parts of it have already happened but are still yet to come as well. And so that's why there's so much debate, especially when it talks about in the first chapter when it's talking about the heavenly throne room and talking about God being there. That's a picture into Jesus ascending 
And now that he's completed his work on earth, it talks about this in this passage, now he is worthy to open the seals, the seven seals that release all these things on the earth. But then you're like, okay, is he waiting to do that? Is, so has the seals already been opened? Have those things already come? And, and so it talks about very specific things that are happening, and then all those lead into other stuff. So it's hard to really figure out when that happens. And there's also a tribulation period where Satan has dominion over the earth, like full dominion, and he takes his people out. But then there's other theological ideas where people say that God's going to take all the Christians out of the tribulation, or he's going to leave them on there during the tribulation. And there, there's a lot of confusing parts of it because we don't know – if it's going to happen first, or that's going to happen first, or that happens during this or after that. And the reason is we're not really meant to figure it out. Again, it's going back to that same thing. Revelation isn't meant to be read chronologically. It's not a straightforward story of this happens, then this happens, then this happens, and then this, then this happens. But we do know at the very end of it all that God does bring resolution to the world. He creates a new heaven and a new earth. Um, now I realize I'm kind of confusing you guys a little bit, so I'm sorry. Um, kind of just throwing a lot out there and trying to get a real brief explanation. Um, but um, in the end of all these things, when we look at Revelation, we can try and pick out what we do know for sure. And what we know for certain in all of this, that, there you go, what we know for certain when Jesus comes back, there will be a time of tribulation. He comes back to the trumpets and the bowls of wrath. We know that's going to happen at some point. Whether we're living through that or whether that's already happened or that will happen, we know that that is something that is going to happen. Things will get worse before they get better. He will save and rescue his followers at some point following his return. All right. He will judge the, the earth, the all people, living and dead based on their life and their faith. So whether they've made a profession of faith in him or not. And he also will make all things new. No death, no crime, no fear, no shame, no sin, no Satan. There's no temptations that will be existing anymore. Sin will be gone forever whenever Christ comes back, the second coming of Christ. Now there are also signs that we can know of, that we can look to that tell us about when Jesus is coming back. He, and he talks about this um, in a whole other passage in, in Matthew and Mark. Um, but there will be natural disasters, a rise in natural disasters. There will be violence. Talks about you know brother killing brother, that parents will turn against their children and children against their parents. Um, it'll talk about wars, that nation, war against nation, and people will take over other people's land. There's going to be no set anything anymore. There's going to be no food. That's what famine is. Famine. Disease will spread everywhere. People will begin abandoning God and their faith. God will be blasphemed regularly and put to shame amongst people here on earth. And there will be a sense of hopelessness here on earth. So we know those are all signs of Christ coming back. Now, I, I really want you guys to think about this because you might, might think, oh, there's a lot of that today. You might, you might think there's a lot of that today, but guess what? They thought the same thing in World War II. And I'll tell you what, in World War II, things were much worse for everybody on earth. 
And people also thought the same thing in the 1950s, whenever Russia was taking over different places. And people also thought the same thing whenever Saddam Hussein was taking over stuff in the Middle East and whenever the U.S. was going in and freeing Israel and trying to protect Israel and all of these different things. Um, and it also thought that like 300 years ago. And it thought that 1,000 years ago. And in Bible times, whenever they're writing Revelation and they're writing all the time, the books in the Bible, they looked at the coming of Christ as being like any time now. So we've been waiting on Jesus for a while. But that's not to say that it can't happen anytime soon because we can't know. No one can know. No one is fully going to be able to understand. And Jesus himself told his disciples about this before he even died. Look, this is what he says. But about that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. He's talking about himself. Nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And the thing is, that might seem like, oh man, okay, I don't know. And I really didn't give you, I really didn't give you guys a lot of answers tonight. I'm not going to lie because I can't really. I still have so many unanswered questions. Yeah, that's okay. You're going to have them for the rest of your life. It's great. (laughs) Um, But I can, and the thing is, we'll go more into depth about the specifics of this because I've already been teaching on this for a little over half an hour already. Um, And there's only a glimpse at the basic breakdown of Revelation and kind of the chunks of it and the meaning behind it. Um, And we can't figure out when Jesus is going to come back. Um, Nor can we, nor should we try. Because it's just going to be a waste of time. But what matters is, is that God does have a plan for all of us. And he has a plan in the end to bring all pain and suffering to an end. And that plan is centered around Jesus. And is centered around him changing and saving people's souls. We are hopeless without him. But with Jesus, we have a hope for today. We have a hope for tomorrow, and we have a hope for all eternity because our Lord and Savior is greater than all. And we have a hope that's greater than death itself because even if I die tomorrow, I know I'm going to be with my Heavenly Father. Even if Jesus comes back tomorrow and the tribulation starts and I get, you know, we, we stay here on earth for the tribulation, I don't know, then I know in the end I'm still saved. I'm still God's. And if he's got a plan, and sometimes it's going to suck, I know in the end it's going to be best to be with him. To go and trust in God and his plan, rather than to not. So, all that in mind, I know you guys have a lot of questions. We'll talk about a lot but a lot more about it probably on Sunday mornings. Um, but whenever we kind of start doing that again after I preach in the next few weeks. Um, and also after I go to Andrew's game, or uh, race. But... Um, Probably in the beginning of November, we'll start kind of cracking into this stuff um, and kind of answering some of the harder questions. 
But this, just a brief overview, and uh, really what matters at the end of the day when you're thinking about Revelation, it's all about Jesus. And God's got a plan. And that's, that's really the most important things to get out of it and to focus on when reading, right? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for today. Thank you for just the wonderful lesson. Uh, Lord, we might have more questions than answers. <laughs> we might have more um, things in our mind and things in our hearts that um, are sitting there that are bothering us, but we want to know why. We want to know more about it. We want to know what it is. We want to know how it's going to happen. We want to know when. But Lord, um, you're not necessarily in the business of giving answers, but you are in the business of giving us hope. You are in the business of giving us salvation. And you are in the business of pointing us in the right direction to go, even if we don't always know why. And that's the beautiful thing about faith, God, is that when we do trust in you, you do amazing things. <laughs> it's always about the journey, not as about the destination. And God, uh, every day with you is a journey. So Lord, I pray that um, as we leave here and we talk to man about small groups and bring up hard questions and talk about different things, uh, Lord, that we would just remember in the end it's about a relationship with you. It's about living for you today, about loving people and sharing our faith with others today because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised five years from now, but we do know that every moment and every day in front of us we can live fully present for you, Jesus. And having put our faith in you, we know you walk with us every day. And the Holy Spirit, you teach us every day. So guide us, lead us, protect us, and let us glorify you in all that we do. In your mind, and we pray, Jesus. Amen.